Well, for those of you who like to know where we're going, we're going to be talking about promises, tiny cracks, covenant renewal ceremonies, animal pieces, and hens and hogs in 25 minutes or less. Are we ready? (laughs) All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for meeting us here. We thank you for speaking to us in your word, and we ask that as we open your word and read it and reflect on it and talk about it, that uh, that it would help us to, uh, to be drawn just a little bit closer into your arms of love. Meet us here in this time, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a mother. She told this story of her son, and her son was always getting in trouble at school. And so uh, the teacher called on the kid, and she said, you know, do you remember what you promised me? And the boy said, yeah, that I wouldn't misbehave anymore. And then the teacher said, and do you remember what I promised you? And the kid said, yeah, that if I misbehaved again, that I was going to get sent to the principal's office. But the boy added, since I broke my promise to you, it's okay that you break your promise to me. <laughs> and so we think about promises, right? When was the last time you made a promise? Anyone, anyone make a promise today already? I mean, it happens. we make promises all the time, right? Promises like, this is my promise. I promise to clean my room today, put away my clothes. Um, they're still in the basket, sitting by my bed. <laughs> I promise to have that report in by the end of the work day. I promise I'll be on time. Or my favorite, this one, this is the one I recommend for all of us here. I promise that if I win the Super Lotto, I'll give at least 10% to Lightshine Church. <laughs> right? Um, actually, it's funny because people do tell me that all the time. Like, if I win 10%, I mean, if I win the, the Lotto, you guys are getting 10%. Um, that's like music to my ears. Um, so, we make these promises, right? Every day, we make promises all the time. Um, but the more important question is, is like, how, how well do we keep these promises that we make? Um, because when we don't keep promises, there are some natural consequences, right? Breaking promises, what it communicates to someone else is that we don't value that person. That's what it communicates. It also communicates something about us. It communicates that we're not someone who can actually be counted on. And so these tiny cracks appear in our relationships when we break promises. These cracks lead to bigger chasms in our relationship, the erosion of trust eventually to uh, broken relationships. And so I remember like when I was a kid growing up, um, like keeping your promises in my house was a big deal. Like my dad would just say like really simply, matter of fact, no discussion. If you say you're going to do something, you just do it. Right? And that's all he would ever say. No, there's nothing to discuss. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Right? And so we've all heard these, these phrases like, you know, your word is your bond. And, you know, what are the other ones? <laughs> um, there's probably a bunch of these. Um, you're only as good as your word. That's another one, right? We say these things all the time. But here's the thing. Today, we're used to dealing with so many broken promises that perhaps we get a little jaded, a little bit cynical, right? This is what we're used to. We're used to people breaking their promises. And so when you think about the Jews in the Old Testament, they're actually called the people of the covenant, right? This is what they were called, the people of the promise, and so the Hebrew word here for covenant actually probably means like clasp or fetter, to be tied to. And so that's what we're dealing with, right? This denoting this binding pact between God and the people of Israel. And so, um, you know, the married people, they understand, this is one thing we get, right? And so, you know, when I said yes to Katie, what I did in effect was say no to the 3,710,295,643 other women <laughs> in the world, right? That's what I was doing. Um, you might, you know, 
No, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, of those people, not one was particularly, they, they didn't care. That was, like, that was the bottom line. You know, I was like, thank God for one. You know what I mean? Um, the fascinating thing here is this. Like, we understand promises in relationship. Uh, we understand covenants and promises between two people groups, nations, or, or whatnot. Those are things that we understand. But what the world had not seen before that's really the important thing here is the world had never seen a covenant God. This was something brand new. The world had not heard of a covenant-making God before. And so only with the Jews we actually hear of a God who chooses to bind himself to a people by means of a promise. This is, this is new and unique. And so we, sh- you know, probably there's someone that's silently wondering and asking these questions like, you know, we're so used to these broken promises. Is God like us or is God different? When God makes a promise, can we expect God to keep it? And so we're going to take a look at the end of the book of Joshua, which kind of finishes the Exodus story. It jumps around in books of the Bible, but it kind of finishes the story. So we're going to read from uh, Joshua 24, and we're going to start with 1 to 3, and then we'll read uh, 12 to 25. And it reads like this. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, some of the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates, Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his uh, offspring many. We'll skip down to 12. I sent the hornet ahead of you which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and towns that you had not built. And you lived in them, you ate the fruit of their vineyards, the olive yards that you did not plant. Therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served before the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did, not, uh, who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm, consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and him we will obey. 
So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem, the word of the Lord. A little bit long, we'll see how we get. So after entering into and conquering the land, the land is divided up, it's given to the 12 tribes of Israel, and finally we get to the end of the book of Joshua with this kind of unification of all the tribes and this renewal of the covenant promise with God. That's what's going on here. And so Joshua gathers up all the tribes at this place, Shechem. Now, Shechem is no accident. 600 years about, roughly before, uh, Shechem was actually the place in Genesis chapter 12 where God first promised the land to Abraham. All right, So this is important. Uh, God promised this land to Abraham's descendants 600 years ago, and here they are. Many generations later, Abraham's now numerous extended family, they find themselves in this very place that God had promised. And so it's all by God's miraculous grace, right? So we have the first clue right here. 600 years is a long time, but it's one of those like better late than never kind of things, right? God keeps God's promises. That's what the scripture is saying just by that one thing alone. And so Joshua is reminding the people that it was God who had given them every blessing they had, and he lists out the things, land and freedom, the fruit of the vine. Uh, They didn't do anything to get those things. They didn't build them, they didn't plant them, and yet God had given it to them. And so Joshua wisely understands something really important, that they need to remain bound in this covenant or they risk losing everything. And so there's two things, two kinds of languages of covenant in the Old Testament. These are the things that really confuse us the most. We hear two completely different things. On the one side, we hear this language of love, right? Um, Where God says things like, I will be your God and you will be my treasured people. We hear that all over the Old Testament. But we also have another language of covenant, which is the language of the law, the commandments given by God to Moses. And so God asks for trust and obedience in return for all the things that God has done. It's, you know, you look at it and you say, yeah, it seems like a pretty fair, fair deal. In the covenant relationship, both parties agree to the terms. God agrees to love and to guide and to bless, and the people agree to follow in grateful obedience. And so many times, the people of Israel, they agree to this relationship. They say things like, and I love using a different voice, like, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You know, it just, it's kind of foolish. Uh, but you see those statements all over the place. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Like, that's nonsense. Like, they, they rarely ever lived into statements like that. So we have this, we have a problem. We have this tension here between law and love. So God is constantly talking about the rewards or blessings for those who keep the covenant. But we also see there's penalties and consequences uh, for those who don't. We have things like God saying, I will never leave and forsake you. But what did it just say in Joshua? This gets a little, this is why there's a little tension um, it says here in Joshua, it says that God's jealous and holy and won't forgive your transgressions or sins. This passage just said if you break the covenant, that God's actually going to turn and do you harm. That's what it says, right? And so we have this tension in Scripture. And so the big covenant question that's raised here is, is, a, is pretty, this, the question is simple. Will God only love us if we're obedient, you know, and can meet all of the conditions of the covenant? Is that the way that God's going to love us? Or the second one is, will God just love everyone no matter how disobedient, no matter how evil we are? And so what most people end up doing with this kind of choice, we have these two things, on one on either side. What most people do is they choose one or the other. And so you'll hear people say, you know, we need to follow 
we need to follow the rules for God to love us and bless us. And other people are going to say, ah, who cares about the rules, right? It's impossible for God to stop loving us. We can do whatever we want. And so you have these two, like, polar opposite things. But the truth is, like, when I looked at these things and I look at Scripture, I'm like, ooh, neither of those things are very satisfying, right? They just don't deal with the tension. They choose one side or the other. And so what do we do with the tension? And the answer is that we actually have to look to Jesus, the fulfillment of the covenant. That, that's where this has to go, right? But first, we've got to deal with one messy situation that involves animal pieces. This should have been intriguing when I said that word. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15, what we see is there's this covenant enacted between God and Abraham, right? It's one of the strangest stories in all of Scripture. We barely ever talk about this. But the story is important. It actually unlocks the door to our understanding of something that's super important for this message. And the fact is that, you know, like covenant relationships, there's, there's a cost to them. There's a cost to intimate, strong relationships. And so God tells Abraham, this is the weirdest thing ever, but, but the point is so good. God tells Abraham to take a bunch of animals and chop them up into pieces. And then lay them out in an aisleway like a path, like this. Right? And so Abraham, Abraham does it. He does what he's told. Um, and at, Jeff and I were talking about this when I told Jeff that I wanted to talk about this passage, uh, laying out this, these animal pieces. Jeff's like, well, that like, gives a whole new definition to the term red carpet. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, it's messy. It's a little bit repulsive. But hang in there because it is worth it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> like, I, you thought maybe that's where it came from. I laughed. Right. And you're wondering if that's where the term actually came from. I don't know. It'd be worth How looking up. people walking over all the blood of everything. Yeah. Oof. Anyway, now that we just <laughs> totally derailed it. Um, but this is, how, this is how covenants worked. So in the ancient Near East, here's what's supposed to happen. Both parties that were forming the covenant, if it was two people or two people groups, they would walk down this aisle between these animal pieces Together. This is what how you would kind of enact these covenant promises. And here's the thinking, right? If you walk between those pieces, what you're saying is that I'm going to take this promise that I make to you so seriously that if I break my word, may I be torn into pieces like these animals that we're walking between. All right? So that's what they're saying. This is an important thing. Like, you don't, once you make that promise, you don't break it. All right? Because that's how serious it is. And so here's what Genesis 15 actually teaches us. It says that God came down and God walked between the animal pieces. Abraham, he never does. God walks it alone, right? And so, like, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, if you, I hadn't really thought too much about this before, but it says a couple things. Um, God's essentially saying to Abraham that he's so serious, you know, that if the, this covenant is broken, that God is going to take the consequences of the, of the breaking of the covenant, not Abraham. And so when we make promises that bind us to someone else, we, this part we're gonna, we should understand. We may not be able to fathom animal pieces, because that's hard for us to, to understand. But what we do know is that when we bind ourselves to someone else, it can't hurt, can it? When we bind ourselves to someone else, we not only share in that person's joys, but we also share in that person's sorrows. That's what it means to be bound together. And that's why people say, you know, love hurts, you know. And so when I was thinking about it, I thought the thing that had to be said today is this, that God agrees to take on the pain. 
that God agrees to take on the curse of the covenant for us. Essentially, God is saying that when we're unfaithful, that God is going to take those consequences upon himself. That's this clue we get all the way back in Genesis 15, right? And then it pushes us, it's a little foreshadowing, pushes us to look to Jesus. And so here's what our New Testament says in Galatians 3.13. Paul writes this, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so Paul's saying that this promise that God made to Abraham a long, long time ago, it's now accessible to each of us through Jesus. When we fail to be obedient, we remember that it was Christ who walked obediently on our behalf. This is where we're supposed to go in our minds. The curse of the law, this perfect obedience that the law requires, which we can never live up to, God promises to be torn to pieces if the covenant is ever violated, right? And the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus, who was torn to pieces on our behalf hanging on this cursed tree that scripture talks about. That Jesus took the pain like God had promised to do so long ago so that the cracks in the relationships, our relationships with God could be repaired so that reconciliation could be made possible. And so because of Jesus, we can be loved by God unconditionally. And so we know this was like God's plan all along. Friends, this is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus resolves this tension between law and between love. That we are loved unconditionally because of Jesus. It's this beautiful and life-giving thing. And so Joshua here, he's got some of these things in mind, and Joshua's renewing the covenant relationship between God and the people of Israel, and he, like Moses, he knew how important this covenant relationship was. Joshua reminds them that the logical response to all the incredible things that God has done for us is to follow the commandments. So we follow God's commandments, and this, this is where we make a mistake. We don't follow the commandments because they're going to save us. They, can't, they won't save us. We don't follow them because God's going to love us more. That's ridiculous, right? We know those things, they're just not true. So why do we follow the commandments? Well, what Joshua, what the Bible is saying is that it's, a, it's our response out of gratitude for all the incredible things that God has done for us. We offer our lives in response out of gratitude for the things that God has done. And so, you know, like Joshua prompted Israel to choose this day whom the people would serve, we're offered the same choice. We have to choose, too, whom we will serve. Will we serve the things that cannot save? Or will we choose to serve the Lord? Joshua himself, he takes the bold stand. The scripture is one of the most memorized in probably the whole Bible. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so when I looked at this, I saw Joshua kind of issuing, doing two things, issuing this challenge and a warning. And so there was a church bulletin um, which offered a question about the next Sunday sermon. Um, and the, the bulletin board read, it said, How, what can we do to help the poor? And so there was a hog and a hen, and they were walking by the church one day, and they read the sign, and they entered into this lively discussion about how they could help the poor, which is what hogs and hens are fond of doing. And so they walk along, and the hen, she has a great idea. She says, hey, I know how we can help. We can make them a ham and eggs breakfast. And the pig shoots back, like, not a chance, like, for you, right? For you, that's a donation, but for me, it's total commitment. <laughs> and so the hog is absolutely right. 
right? This is where Joshua's going with this. Joshua's challenging Israel, like, to go whole hog, you know, uh, to go all out. He's urging them not to make promises that they have no intention to keep. Not to make promises to God flippantly or casually because, this is, I, I think, I've got to think this has got to be the most important thing. Don't make these casual, flippant promises to God. Why? Because relationships are costly. It hurts to be in this kind of a relationship, right? It costs God something, everything, to be in this binding relationship. And Joshua's like, you've got to take this you got to take this stuff seriously, right? And so the people, I love this, they vow to put away their idols, to cease to worship false gods. They rededicate themselves to God who had been so gracious to them. And in the covenant renewal ceremony in this one, in Joshua, there's no animal pieces, which I was really happy about because I love, just love animals. <laughs> Linda, I was like thinking about you when I read this. <laughs> like animal lovers are just like, oh. This. But there's no, there's no animal pieces in this one. Joshua tells them this, this is important. There's no animal pieces, but what Joshua says is that their word, their promise, their commitment, Joshua says, their word, this promise, this commitment is a witness against them. We have the same thing taking place, just thank God, without the animal pieces. He says, your word is a witness against you. In other words, he's reminding them. They're giving their word. Their word actually means something. It's important and so to me, when I was thinking about covenant, what it says to me, it communicates something to me, it communicates that we're just so deeply loved unconditionally beyond our wildest imagination. This is, this is what covenant communicates to me. It's this beautiful reminder that God says I can be counted on, that I can be trusted because God has proven over and over and over again that God keeps promises. And so covenant says no matter what we do, uh, once we're bound to God, that God will never quit on us or stop loving us. That's what covenant communicates to us. And when I was thinking about it, I thought it, it helped me immensely. As I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I don't have to beat myself up when I don't measure up. It's a relief to me of the burden of trying to have to be someone else or something that you're not. When you get down on yourself and your inability to keep God's commandments, what we're reminded of is that Jesus kept those commandments perfectly on our behalf. Jesus did what we cannot ever do. And so it produces in me this sense of gratitude, which I think is what it's supposed to do. For God's just absurd generosity and grace, this grace that propels me to actually want to give my whole and best self in return. And so if Joshua were here today, knowing all the things that Jesus had done for the world, I'm, just, I'm kind of convinced that he would want us to soak in the words of the Apostle Paul. We probably have heard these words before from Romans 8, where Paul says there's nothing in this world, nothing, that could ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. When we're bound to Christ, we place our trust in him. We place our hand in his hand. And we know that that is a bond that cannot be broken. And that, my friends, is a promise that we can all count on, that we can put our trust in. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, you mysteriously and wondrously bind yourself to us, even, even when we're rebellious and disobedient. And so we're grateful that from the beginning you had Jesus in mind as the answer to our deepest 
human needs and longings. And so God, in gratitude, we ask that you would send us out from this place filled with your spirit. Help us to listen. Help us to love better. Help us to give our whole selves over to you and your beautiful mission that you have in this world. That all people would come to know of your incredible love in Jesus Christ. This we pray in the name of the Father and the Son.